Um, so we've been uh, looking at the woman at the well, the outcast. I'm just wondering, we were all in school, right? Most of us, public school? Yes? Christian school, right? I know some people are homeschooled. Uh, there's like, you know, a number of people that, you know, gone to homeschool their whole life, so they might not have experienced this. But if you're in public school, um, were you popular? No. No? No. I was so not popular. But I wasn't the worst. Makes me feel bad to this day, man. We're talking elementary school, right? Um, I'm, I'm as young as these kids sitting here in the front row. And there was this girl. Her name was Jeanette Hawkins. I think that was her last name. Her name was Jeanette. Everybody made fun of Jeanette. I was just thankful that I wasn't as unpopular as Jeanette, right? She didn't dress real well. Um, and when you're a kid, that's not really your fault, right? Your parents buy your clothes, so you don't have a job. The thing is, she, she wasn't very clean either. She didn't really, I don't know, she didn't have good hygiene. And, and she smelled, honestly. I don't know how much that that's really her fault either, but she was so unpopular. And so she got made fun of a lot. And you know what's really sad? I was a dorky little kid who was just thankful that I wasn't as unpopular as Jeanette, and I made fun of her. It was like, you didn't want to be her. She was always the last one. She was the most unpopular one. Well, how do people deal with that? People do a lot of different stuff to deal with that, right? We all have a cup we're carrying around with us, right? And we fill it with stuff. So when you're not popular, when you're rejected, when you're the outcast, what do you fill that cup with? Maybe you find a way to make money, you know, later in life. And so you just, you fill it with money. Like, I don't need people. I got enough money. I can deal with that. Or maybe you find... You know, uh, you're, you're a guy and you discover that you're pretty strong and you can get in the weight room and you can just get really, really big and it doesn't matter whether you stink or whether you're not pretty or whatever because you're stronger than everybody else, right? That would be me. That would be me. Or maybe you're a girl and you get in high school and you start doing things for boys or maybe even other girls these days that are not good. I'm not going to go into details because all the kids are here, but you know what I'm talking about. That may well have been this woman, the woman at the well, the outcast. Um, what we're going to see in part two of the story, uh, you know, Jesus came to this well specifically, I believe, to talk to this woman. He could have followed the pattern that a lot of Jews followed and just walked along the east side of the River Jordan and then come across in Galilee, like gone up through Perea and the Decapolis and just gonna, gone across. You might not have a map in your mind, but basically what I'm saying is that they found a way to just, here's Judea, here's Samaria, here's Galilee. If you're gonna do a straight shot from Judea down here in the south to Galilee up here in the north, you gotta go through Samaria. 
But Samaritans hated the Jews so much and the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that a lot of times, especially if they were going south and going to go to the Jerusalem, they would cross the river and go completely around Samaria and then cross the river again. You know what that's like? That's like when there's people in your life and you just, you don't want to have anything to do with them, right? Here they come and you're like, oh no, not that person again. I got to make sure they don't see me. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to look at them. I don't want to smell their smell. So you just go the other way. And maybe, you know, sometimes people develop, uh, oh, there's a famous uh, psychiatrist named Sigmund Freud who called them defense mechanisms, right? Um, I think one of the ways that people that are talented in this way defend themselves is through being funny, through comedy, right? I don't know who your favorite comedian is. Most of them are kind of dirty, really. There's a, Netflix has a, a special right now with Chris Rock. I would certainly not want any kids to watch this fellow. And uh, if you were paying attention to the Academy Awards last year, he got slapped on stage by Will Smith, completely rude, because he was making a joke about Will Smith's wife, right? So whether you think that was you know, good or not, the point is, this is the wrong guy to slap. He's got the sharpest tongue of just about anybody I've ever heard. I mean, when I watch Chris Rock, I see a, a young man, well, he's not so young anymore, but I see a man that's angry. And he's just so good at taking that sharp tongue and going. That's another way. There's somebody who feels rejected, right? Somebody that feels like they're an outcast. And it's funny because you can get a lot of money and a lot of fame, but fame is out there. Fame is not the same as having friends, really. It's not, okay? Uh, You can be a social media influencer and have a million followers on whatever tube. Okay, TikTok, YouTube, I guess Facebook is like nothing these days. Um, Twitter, I mean, trying to revive Twitter. But you can have all these followers out there. You can be a celebrity and they've made you famous, but that doesn't mean you really have friends, right? You just got these people that are, that are following an image out there, okay? So, There have been comedians, and we're familiar with one recent one, that have even gone so far as to commit suicide. We all thought Robin Williams was the happiest guy in the world. I mean, what an incredibly funny guy, just make everybody smile, and yet obviously he wasn't that happy. I don't know how long ago it's been now, five, six, seven years ago, you know, he committed suicide. What a horrible thing. You just don't know what's going on on the inside with people, right? And we carry stuff along with us for a long time. That's why, kids, I hope when you come to this church, you know you're loved, that we love you. We care about you, okay? Popularity is a joke. It's, it's nonsense. I don't know if you're popular at your school or not. I don't even know if that matters to you. But this woman dealt with whatever she was dealing with as far as being an outcast, um, by going from one relationship to another. Jesus knew the woman before he arrived at the well, right? 
We've already seen in John that he had insight into people. He just knew what's going on behind those eyes. And he knew this woman, I believe, before he got to the well. He went through Samaria. It says he needed to go through Samaria. I believe the reason he needed to go through Samaria is because he had an appointment with this woman, and she was the outcast of outcasts. She was the Jeanette Hawkins of her day. And the way she had dealt with rejection is go from guy to guy to guy. Jesus knew this. Now, the interesting thing is she had a, a bucket. Actually, she probably had a jar, okay, to take water out of the well. Jesus didn't even have that. He was just sitting there and he said, hey, man, I... He didn't say, hey, man, but he said... <laughs> <laughs> he said, could you give me a drink? Well, you see, you need to understand something. That's just unheard of. I know I said this last week, but it's, it's not just that he was talking to a woman and he shouldn't have been, and he was by himself talking to a woman, and he was a Jewish man and he was a rabbi, and there was just all kinds of boundaries that he crossed just by saying anything to her at all. She might have thought with her experience that he was coming on to her. The Bible is filled with stories uh, about men who found their wives at wells. It's, it's true, okay? Um, Isaac needs a wife. So Abraham, Isaac's father, sends a servant to go find him a wife among his people. Where does he find her? He finds Rebecca at a well. Okay, Moses leaves Egypt and he goes to the backside of the desert, goes to the Midianite area. And where does he stop? At an oasis by a, a well. And who does he meet? His future wife, Zipporah. So there's a history of this, right? Men meeting women at a well. It's, it's kind of like, you know, singles bars back in the day, okay? It's the singles well, right? If you're single, you go sit at a well and wait for your honey to show up and draw water. So who knows what this woman is thinking? Her whole life has been men basically getting with her and then putting her away. See, the thing is, Jesus uncovered this in the story when he said, go get your husband and come back. Because he knew if he was gonna have an extended conversation with her, that was propriety, but he also knew where her pain was. And it was right there in that area of relationship. And she just, you know, I can just imagine her just kind of biting it off and just saying, yeah, well, yeah, I have no husband. And it sounds like Jesus is being mean here. Now, you need to understand something. Just because God hurts your feelings doesn't mean he has it in for you, All right? Kids, your parents ever hurt your feelings? Yes. No, yeah, no. <laughs> your parents ever say something to make you mad? Yeah. yeah. But aren't they, aren't they trying to do their best to help you? No. Yes. yes. I know all your parents. These are good parents. They're not meanies. They're trying to help you. And a lot of times, something that helps us hurts, right? You ever get a, a wound, an injury, and your parents want to pour peroxide on it? Okay, listen, that's nothing, you know, or, or yeah, the, you know, the creamy stuff, you know, whatever it is. Oh, alcohol. Did they ever pour alcohol on it? Oh, your parents are mean. <laughs> no, back in the day, we had iodine. 
I am not kidding you. It's like red and it turns pink on your skin and it hurts, man. So you get like a cut or something and you know, my mom just grabbed my hand and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. And it hurts so much. But you know what it would have hurt worse? What? Is if that cut would have gotten infected. You know, back before they knew anything about all this kind of stuff, people would get an infection and it would turn into this gross thing called gangrene, where basically your, your flesh starts rotting. It dies and it starts rotting, okay? And the only thing you can do about it is you gotta go, let's say it's your foot, okay? You injure your foot and you don't disinfect it. And then you can't feel your foot anymore. See, when I was 12, I was at the lake and I was having a lot of fun and I jumped off this dock into this shallow water and I jumped right onto a rock that was sitting right there and it punched a hole into the bottom of my foot. Lake water is nasty, right? I had to get stitches in the bottom of my foot. Imagine how much fun that was. Yeah, it was zero fun. I have, a, I have a big scar on the bottom of my foot. I, we, we were like very kind of poor when I was a kid. And so my parents didn't even want to get crutches. So I had a wagon and I had to roll around in the wagon. I did. It, 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 it had these sides you could take off. And so I put one leg in the wagon and I just, you know, went all over the neighborhood with the other leg. They have those now. Rachel hurt her leg a ways back and she had one of those. It's like a little cart that you steer around. I'm like, wow, I was way ahead of my time with my wagon. It was a blue wagon. But anyway, what would have happened if that nasty lake water got in there and they hadn't gotten me to the hospital and gotten it disinfected in time? Well, listen, I'm telling you, everything they did hurt. It all hurt. But you know what? It was worth it. It made it better. Because look, I can still jump around on my feet. But see, what would have happened if they hadn't disinfected it and then it just started rotting my foot off? Well, then I got to go to the doctor and they've got to find a place on my leg that's high enough where it's still, the, the flesh is still alive and then they just cut it off below that. That's what they had to do back in the day. It's why, you know, pirates, you see all those stories about pirates, you know, he's got one arm and he's got one leg and he's a peg leg and all this. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot of that. So here's what happens. Sometimes your parents might say something to hurt your feelings, right? Yeah. There's a proverb that says, better are the wounds of a friend than kisses from the enemy. Somebody's just telling you what you want to hear to make you feel better. This is happening in our world today, all over the place. We just want everybody to feel good. No, God wants to heal you. And in order to do that with this woman, he had to deal with her problem. And her problem was this issue with relationships, okay? Verse 15, um, Jesus has just said, whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. As I told you, that's where we get the name of our church life. Well, verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband 
And as I said before, I think she probably looked down, bit, maybe bit her tongue a little bit. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. That's a very terse answer. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This, what you have said, is true. That just sounds mean. Why is he pointing that out? Here's something you should know. Back then, it was almost always the man that took the, the, the initiative in divorce. In fact, a woman couldn't officially get a divorce. She could walk away from the guy, just leave him. But all the man had to do was write a certificate of divorce and hand it to her and say, get out of my house. That was it. She's had that, she had had that happen like five times. So what's going on here? Were all five of those times her fault? Were some of them his fault and some of them her fault? We don't know. We just know that she kept going back. Okay? Well, that relationship didn't work, so let's try another one. That one didn't work, so let's try another one. That one didn't work, so let's try another one. That one didn't work, so okay, I'm going to try one, but this time I'm not going to get married. I'm just going to live with the dude. That's where she was. And it sounds mean that Jesus pointed that out. But Jesus was trying to show her that this is where she was getting her meaning. This is what she was trying to draw life from was through these relationships. So it's great. She said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, this is the interesting thing. Um, the Samaritans technically didn't believe in prophets. They did believe that there would be one prophet that would come that Moses talked about, the prophet that was like Moses that would come and explain everything to them. And they may well have conflated that with the Jewish idea of Messiah. Apparently this woman did because she says later in just a moment, she says that when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus straight up tells her, I am the Messiah. Jesus didn't tell anybody that, but he told this woman Okay, So she might have been being a little sarcastic here is what I'm saying. Oh, well, I perceive you're a prophet. If you lived in a small town and you had a reputation and you had a reputation like this woman, like today, if somebody's been married four or five times, that's not going to get you a reputation, really. I mean, I don't know, maybe if you're in certain contexts, people might talk or whatever. If you're living with someone, that's not going to get you a reputation. But you need to understand, in her day, in her time, in these, with these conservative people, everybody would have known. <laughs> but how would a Jewish man that she'd never seen before know? Well, maybe she was being a little sarcastic. Uh, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So then she tries to get him embroiled in a religious controversy. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we must worship. Okay, stop for just a minute. Within uh, easy walking distance from where they were, right there at Jacob's Well, there was a little mountain, little hill really, but kind of a mountain, called Mount Gerizim. And uh, during the time when Moses brought the, well, Moses didn't bring the people over, when uh, Joshua brought the people over across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, they, um, they reestablished their covenant with God. They recommitted themselves to the promises of God. 
by having half the people stand on another mountain, which was right across the valley, called Mount Ebal. And then this group of people would stand on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is where they pronounced all the promises that were associated with keeping the law. Mount Ebal is where they pronounced all the curses that were associated with rejecting the law. The Samaritans, as we've discussed before, were actually not related to the people of Israel that were brought over. They had been brought into the land by the Assyrians. Now, they, they, they might have had a, a little bit of a lineage or, or um, blood relationship there because the very poorest of the poor of the Jews were left behind, right? But the Samaritans were from all these other nations and they, they just completely lost the Jewish identity altogether. Well, they wanted to worship, so what they did is they built themselves this little temple on Mount Gerizim, and that's where they worshiped. Well, there's a, <clears throat> a king that came along in the mid-2nd century BC named John Hyrcanus. And this is a brief period of time in between the time when the Jewish people came back from, what, let's back up. The Jewish nation was separated into two um, northern and southern uh, groups. The northern group were 10 tribes and they were usually just referred to as Israel. The southern group were called Judah and that's where we get the name Jew, okay? The northern group, the 10 tribes in the north, completely lost their identity. They were captured by the Assyrians. Their whole land was overrun. They brought these other people in, okay? And that's what became of that. The south, um, about 150 years later in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in, took them, took them out of the land, but they kept their identity. They returned to the land, they rebuilt their temple, but there was always another group over them. After the Babylonians, it was the Persians. After the Persians, it was the Greeks. But for a brief period of time, between the time the Greeks had control of them and the time the Romans rolled in, they had control of their own nation and they had a king, his name was John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus went into Samaria and he destroyed the Samaritan temple that had been built on Mount Gerizim. He said, no, there's only one place you're supposed to worship and that's in Jerusalem and this is an abomination and this is idolatry and he tore it down. The Samaritans got so mad that not too many years later, they brought a bunch of dead bodies into the temple to desecrate it. Now, can you see why these groups of people just hated each other? Okay. So she brings Jesus into this controversy. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. What is Jesus' response? See, we get pulled into these debates and controversies in our time all the time, right? Debates over race. That was the initial debate here. You're a Jew. Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan? Now it's a debate over religion, all right? You're a Christian. You think you're better than everybody, okay? Whatever. So here it is. She tries to pull him into this. Jesus said to her, this is verse 21, "'Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So here's the interesting thing is, he affirms that she will worship the Father. He does trust that she has a modicum of faith, okay? There's a, there's a time coming, right? Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the salvation that comes from the Jews. He's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, right? Which said that Abraham, uh, the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to all people. Jesus is the seed of Abraham through whom all of us are blessed. Jesus is the end of the law, the completion of the law, the fulfillment of the law. He was standing in front of her, fulfilling and in that moment, what he said, salvation is from the Jews. But he doesn't stop there and hammer back and forth. He simply moves on. Verse 23, but a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus knew, and in fact, he accused his people the Pharisees in particular, of speaking the words that sounded good with their lips, but their hearts were far away from God. They were faking it until they made it. Or they were just pretending on the outside, okay? There were plenty of people that were going to the temple and worshiping in the temple that didn't have a heart for God. There's plenty of people, none of you, I'm sure, but there's plenty of people who come to church and it's just all about externals. You're just going through the motions and it doesn't matter what that is. You could be going to a Catholic church and there's lots of ritual behind it or you could be going to a Pentecostal or charismatic church and there, there's lots of emotion behind it. You go to a Bible church, you know, or even a church like ours and there's, there's a lot of thinking and a lot of talking behind it. But see, what's in What's in here? See, this is this. And you bring one of these in here. What's in here? Lots of distractions, right? Lots of thoughts that are embarrassing or upsetting. What's in here? Hopes, dreams, wishes. What's in here? When you come in here, I believe the Lord is every week when this band gets up here. Man, they prepare. They work really, really hard. I prepare these messages. I work really, really hard. We're trying to pour something into you. And some of you are like that. Well, I can't pour anything into that, can I? Because you're closed. Some of you are like, eh, it's okay. No, no, it's, it's okay. I don't need any more. <laughs> I got what I want right here. I just came to check it out. Uh, don't be pouring that in here, okay? Well, see, Jesus would tell you, you need to pour that out. See, if you brought this in, you need to pour it out. He wants an empty vessel so he can pour his spirit in. He's not going to pour his spirit in on top of whatever this is that you got in here. Okay, I don't know what's your, what's your favorite drink. What do you like? You like coffee. If you're British, you like tea. Oh, those Brits still, they still have tea time and they still love their tea, man. They really, really do. Okay. I mean, ever since the Boston Tea Party, we threw all that tea out. Americans are just like, not coffee. Or if you're like, you know, Craig, it's just water pretty much. Okay. Some of y'all are soda addicts, right? It's Coke or Diet Coke or whatever it is. Some of y'all are addicts to certain substances or things that are stronger than that. Okay. 
But when you've got this full of your own stuff, you're not allowing the Lord to fill it. Well, this is what the Lord was doing by mentioning this woman's background. And this is what he was trying to help her to see. He was trying to say, woman, don't worry about the racial tension. You're a Samaritan, I'm a Jew. Woman, don't worry about the religious tension, right? Worship on this mountain or worship on that mountain or you know, worship with formality or, or worship with emotion or all of this. Pour that out. Because I'm going to pour something new in. There is a God. Amen? And he is spirit. He's not physical. Okay? Now, God became a man, but God is not a man. Amen? Or a woman. Or any being that you and I can even wrap our mind around. He's spirit. If you're going to worship him, Jesus said, you've got to worship in spirit and truth. This used to be our motto for our church when we were called Zion back in the day. Verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So there's two things that that means. You have a spirit, right? And until you're reborn, right? That that was the conversation with uh, Nicodemus. Until you're born from above, born of the spirit, born anew. Your spirit is blind and deaf. You're just groping around. Okay? You have to be reborn so that you can see, so that you can hear spiritually. And then that is the only way you can actually worship is in spirit and in truth. The truth is the unchanging word of God. The truth is absolute. Truth is falling on hard times in our day. People talk about your truth and my truth. That's not the truth. There is the truth in your opinion. But the truth comes from God. God is unchanging, and that's why the truth is unchanging. Amen? Now, I may not have perfect understanding or apprehension of the truth, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It does exist, right? The truth is the structure. The truth is objective. It's outside of you. But the spirit is what fills the structure in. So I was reading this again this morning, and I think that perhaps this would speak to you all and also be an illustration of spirit and truth. It's a very interesting story in Ezekiel. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. You guys familiar with this story? I'm going to read this to you real quick because uh, it's uh, very, very uh, eye-opening. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. This is probably a former battleground, right? Basically, all these warriors would just hack away at each other. The bodies would fall. They wouldn't even bury them. They just left them out there, right? So... You know, the elements and the animals would get to the bodies and pretty soon there's just dry bones. That's what he's seeing. Verse three, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Well, this is God talking to Ezekiel. So Ezekiel's not gonna go, uh, no. And I answered, Lord God, you yourself know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones. What does that mean? What does that mean? Preach to the bones. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, here's the word of the Lord. This is what he's going to say to them. 
You dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. Behold, I am going to make breath enter you so that you may come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you so that you may come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. Wow. Now my man is preaching to a valley of bones. But listen to what happens. So I prophesied, I preached as I was commanded, and as I preached, there was a loud noise, and behold, a rattling. This would be creepy. <laughs> and bones came together, bone to its bone. There's, a, there's an old song by them, by the way. You ever heard that one? Them bone, them bone, them dry bone. No? Okay, never mind. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, tendons were on them. That's what holds the bones together, by the way. And flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Yame. That's Japanese for stop. <laughs> That's a lot of churches. A lot of churches might just be the dry bones. But here in this church, you get the word of the Lord. Amen? We're talking verse by verse through the Bible. We're talking, I would love, I keep begging you practically to come and hear Craig's Bible study in the morning. It's so fantastic. Word of God coming to you. If you pay attention at all, it gives you structure. But you ain't moving. You're standing, but you ain't moving. The truth. Structure. There's the skeleton. Man, there's even muscle on the skeleton and, and tendons connecting the muscle to the bones, but there's something missing. What's missing? The breath. And by the way, the word in both Hebrew and Greek for breath is also the word for spirit. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, the Lord God says, come from the four winds, breathe and breathe from the four winds on these slain so that they may come to life. Now, I'm not saying there's some one-to-one -one correlation here. You don't preach to the Holy Spirit and tell him to come. But I am saying that there's a missing element here because... If we don't respond, we're dead. Amen? Oh, I posted that this week on Facebook and nobody responded. <laughs> I posted, unresponsive equals dead. How are you doing spiritually? Or something along those lines. Well, I remember when I found out our, our, our friend Vernon had passed away. Um, he'd been coming to this church for years uh, when he was 92, he got his license renewed, and they only do it, what is it, like every two years when you're his age. And he was so excited. You know why he was excited? Because he could still drive himself to church. Vernon was here all the time, man. He, and he was, interestingly, he came up in a Pentecostal environment. Right? He came up in an Assemblies of God church. But Vernon, if you ever remember Vernon, he wasn't one of those guys that, that jumped around and did this, was he? No. He was very, very staid and, and formal and, you know, didn't always say. Listen, we would have like rock concerts in this church back in the day. And Vernon would come to the rock concert, man. He would come to everything. Well, he got sick and he had to go to the hospital. 
And uh, then he ended up in a, a situation that he'd planned for in managed care. And he started declining, right? Eventually he was on his back in, in the bed, wasn't able to move around, had a, has, had a stroke. And uh, it was, uh, I think it was a Sunday that I got a call from uh, Miss Margie, uh, who introduced Vernon to us. And she said, Vernon was found unresponsive last night. That means that he, what he wanted to do when he passed away, right now that makes us all sad, but we all need to know that there's heaven, amen? Yeah. We need to aim for that. That's what's coming. Vernon knew Jesus. Vernon knew he was gonna die. He didn't know when, but he prayed that he would die in his sleep. And that's what happened. So when they went to check on him, he was unresponsive because the breath left him. There's just a whole lot of Christians that are unresponsive. Perhaps Christian in name only, just nominal Christians, that's what we would call them, right? You've got the externals, right? You've been to Sunday school, you've been preached to, the body is standing there, but you're not moving. You need to be filled with the Spirit, right? So listen to what happened. He preaches to the breath. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And then the Lord interprets the vision. Then Ezekiel says, he, the Lord said to me, son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We're completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when you have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. And this is what I wanted to end with, verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares Yahweh. So here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna get into more detail with the woman at the well on Wednesday. I'm going through this verse by verse. Uh, previous two weeks, I did a verse by verse with you on this. I decided to be more thematic this morning, okay? And, and, and hit this scene. The woman is told it doesn't matter whether you go down or up, they would always say up because Jerusalem was up, up to Jerusalem, or whether you stand on Mount Gerizim and worship, the Lord wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. So you're getting the truth here. Unless you're paying more attention to the culture than you are to the Christ that Craig and I are preaching here, you're getting the truth. That clears your mind. That enables you to stand. But you can't move until you're animated by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so that's why for the last month, we've been having this extended time of worship at the end of the service. I want you to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you. And here's what I'm gonna say. Turn this over and hold it up. If it's got stuff in it, that's called confession. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All sin is not disgusting, gross, evil things that everybody doesn't want to hear about. Sin is just anything that falls short of God's plan. Sin is your plan instead of God's plan. Sin is you elevating yourself and your needs above Christ, right? So you dump that out, confess. And then you lift it up and you say, Lord, fill me up. Because he wants to fill you up to overflow. He wants to turn you into a fountain of blessing to everyone around you. He wants to use your time and your talent and your treasure to be a blessing to other people. He wants the words that come out of your mouth to be his words. The posts that you type to be his. We can lead our world to Jesus, amen? Amen. Wherever you work, all you've gotta do is be willing to let the Lord do what he does. So, it's noon, that's when I quit and they start, right? I want you to just let the Lord minister to you. I want you to hold that cup up and I want you to let him fill you to overflowing. If you need to pray with anybody, I'll be down here. Pastor Craig will be over here. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, You can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically all you need to do is text the word LifeWell from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.